Science is real from the Big Bang to DNA. Science is real from evolution. You're listening to the Science at the Local podcast with me, Hamish Clark. This episode, I chat with Professor Chris Davis, an expert in multisensory communication at the Marx Institute of Western Sydney University. Thank you very much for joining us on the Science of the Local podcast. Um, perhaps we could start with a little bit of an overview of the kind of research that you do. So uh, I, I guess I have a couple of roles or, or hats, as they say. I'm a research uh, professor at the Marx Institute for Brain Behavior and Development at Western Sydney University. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in that role, I'm the leader of the multisensory communication area. Um, that's one thing I do. I am a project leader uh, in the Hearing CRC, which is a, a cooperative uh, research center. Yes. Uh, and uh, I am also the chair of the Autry Visual Speech Association, um, which is a sort of loose-knit collection of researchers, international researchers who do work with um, speech. Great. So many hats. Yeah, sort of, but all similar sizes in some ways. uh, They kind uh, of fit together. Yeah, focusing on speech and communication. And so, um, great, so um, that keeps you busy, I guess. Um, How did you get into the area? Uh, Good question. In terms of audiovisual speech, uh, it was really one night in Bangkok uh, at um, a bar called... (laughs) (laughs) It could be. Uh, it was at, at uh, there was a conference we uh, I organised with a, a colleague uh, from University of New South Wales, uh, and it was with engineers and linguists and a whole bunch of people, psychologists, mm-hmm. and we were all out of place, so we called it the OopCon conference. <laughs> and uh, at like the, end of the conference, yeah, we uh, there's a, a club called the Saxophone Club. Uh, in Bangkok, uh-huh. and we ended up there. I don't know how. Uh, and I, there was this French researcher who kind of asked me what you did, what do I mm-hmm, do? Mm-hmm. And and at that stage, I, I did work on language, but you know, reading disorder, that type of work, mm-hmm. uh, uh, mainly text. Mm-hmm. And he said, "Ah, oh, God, that's boring." Uh, in <laughs> a French accent. And we'd had a few beers, and I sort of was. Uh, you know, defensive, I guess. And I said, so what do you do? And he, he told me what he did. And he made it sound so uh, so interesting wow. uh, that I thought, yeah. And he said, there's this conference coming up, uh, uh, audiovisual speech processing. Uh, he helped organize the very initial one. Mm-hmm. And um, so I said, I'll, I'll go. I'll do some experiment and I'll be there. Correct. And uh, he was, a, I think it was about... 35 or something at mm-hmm. that time mm-hmm. and unfortunately uh, between then and that conference he he, uh, he died oh, uh, he no. um, had a family history of some sort of uh, breathing problem oh, wow. just, uh, and, and that really affected me uh, you know oh, yeah, just how awful but uh, so his name is uh, or was uh, is still I guess <laughs> uh, Christian Benoit and they have mm. a a prize for him now, and mm-hmm. he's a much beloved mm-hmm. 
person mm -hmm. and that just set me off i i thought okay i i'll go to this conference or i will do this mm -hmm. and uh never looked back so it's wow. a bit of a story but yeah it's <laughs> it a was, great story yeah, it's amazing yeah. yeah and i guess it's a good uh, a good lesson for the the youngsters out there on the value of conferences it is uh, like this was as i said after the conference um mm -hmm. you know we we just one of my uh, colleagues the one who set it up uh, mm -hmm. had been to this club he said you got to go to great jazz club <laughs> mm -hmm. um and i just remember us all the, there was a Pink Floyd song, We Don't Need No Education. Yeah, wall, All of us academics <laughs> singing a little ironically. But, um, yeah, and uh, there was one uh, young professor from, from France, uh, and he said, uh, is this how how you do your conferences? <laughs> he says, yeah, we, we said, yeah, this is – he swore he'd, he'd be at every conference <laughs> organized, but That's he wasn't. That's great. i got to get myself an invite to one of these. Um, so <laughs> yeah. you, you've, you've picked a very simple topic, obviously, the brain and language. Uh, I guess there's not many research questions left there? Uh, yeah, uh, not really. I mean, like most things, we, we specialize, and mm. our particular area, what I do with the hearing CRC – uh, is with older adults. Mm -hmm. So it's more like hearing problems, uh, speech, uh, trying to understand speech and noise. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, why, why we think of this audiovisual, uh, aspect is because seeing the, the person speak in noise is a, gives a big boost mm -hmm. to understanding them. Mm -hmm. Um, so we, you know, it's it's often people turn their ear to the person yes. to hear more, and that's one way. But you actually get a better boost by looking at them, oh, and yeah, it's not yeah. out on the visual cues. Yeah, so there's lots of visual cues, not only to what they're saying, but to how they're saying or what they mm. mean. Mm. Um, so we use a lot of uh, motion tracking mm -hmm. uh, work where we track emotions and also the motion of face and head mm -hmm. uh, and then we correlate that with uh, things like speech understanding uh, try to work out which aspects of the visual cues are the are the best and then occasionally we've developed like avatars to try to uh, emphasize those uh, those what cues. do you mean by avatars you know like a, a virtual agent mm -hmm. you know like uh, so you know uh, something that uh, can uh, you can look at and mm -hmm. it can uh, mimic uh, a person speaking. It's, it's okay. quite difficult with all the articulation, um, mm. and that's why you know it's great to have a lot of uh, a lot of colleagues who do work. Mm. Well, I can imagine how. Sorry, I can imagine how you'd need uh, engineers and computer scientists and uh, you know various kinds of natural scientists and psychologists working on something like that. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a really rich area, and and then there's you know there's people who uh, linguists who then say, but what what are they? How are they talking? What does it mean? You know, mm -hmm. how is mm -hmm. meaning? Yes. So it, it it you know runs from the philosophical right down to you know looking at um, you know some interesting uh, engineering problem about mm -hmm. how to um, map you know, visual 2D representations in 3D and stuff like that. Mm, yeah, so I guess as a professor, you'd be able to have a fairly high-level view of the, the direction that you'd like to go in or the kinds of problems that are most interesting or most pressing at the moment? 
Yeah, um, I mean, the where as I said, we're, we're mainly kind of focusing on on um, people who have difficulty with mm-hmm. speech. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's something that uh, has grown out of uh, just experience, like with my my own parents um, mm-hmm. watching them. Uh, slowly mm. kind of withdraw socially because mm. they're, they're not really understanding what's going on in the, in a, you know, a Christmas gathering or yeah, you go down yeah. the pub or something. And my dad, uh, who is an engineer, was an engineer, um, used to sit down one end and, um, and then slowly sort of end up just by himself drawing something on his mm. napkin. Uh, yeah. And and it's because you know one on one he you know he was yeah. fine, mm-hmm. but uh, in a crowd with background noise he just uh, couldn't hear couldn't pick it up and mm-hmm. he didn't really want to wear a hearing aid and mm-hmm. and that's uh, that's another big technical topic about mm-hmm. why well, I was sociological it's got all those aspects why people don't yeah. feel comfortable wearing it but also it just amplifies lots of things. Uh, mm. And uh, so it doesn't really act to discriminate uh, Man, okay. the speech that you're paying attention to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's one area I'd love to get into. I, mm. I'm formulating a grant now mm-hmm. uh, with some colleagues from the States. Uh, they do a lot of the EG, like electroencephalography. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, so when you pay attention to speech, uh, you get kind of a different... Uh, set of waveforms from when you're not paying attention. Mm. So uh, the idea is that if you can uh, have a device that kind of works out uh, which speech stream you're paying attention to and mm-hmm. only amplify that one, mm. uh, that would be – yeah. And so there are hearing aid companies uh, working on this. They're interested in that. And we, we think we have some good techniques uh, – to to input into that uh, question, mm. it's just you know getting getting time. Sure, yeah. So how far away uh, are we from me being able to press a button and figure out if my six year old daughter's paying attention to me or not? Uh, she's not paying attention. To me. <laughs> yeah, I guess I kind of knew the answer to that yeah. already, didn't I? Uh, probably so. quite a way. I mean, mm. the the people. Um, the you know the interesting thing with the hearing CRC, it's I forget how many different bodies uh, ranging from big commercial companies like Cochlear mm-hmm. right through to um, uh, Royal Society for you know blind and and uh, deaf and blind. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a whole group of people who do really interesting work. I was at a talk uh, a few months ago. And they, one person who was putting forward this idea of, they call it the cognitive hearing aid, mm-hmm. said something like 10, 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's a lot of signal processing. Uh, there's some really interesting work on deep learning and things, but mm-hmm. to do it all real time is the, is the thing. Yeah. And so we have, we have a, one of the areas that marks is called Ben's biomedical engineering and they, mm-hmm. They're very keen to try to develop stuff on chips. So they, they're printing out big chips, uh, specially designed for signal processing to mm-hmm. do it real, t- these sorts of things real time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so very interesting. Uh, it, it's, you know, it is a bit blue sky in the, in that mm-hmm. sense mm-hmm. of, um, uh, I mean, there are in, uh, hearing aid companies interested, but, yeah. um, you know, you really have to have a, 
pretty much a, a working product mm. before people will put you don't too much have, money into uh, it. You don't have Google uh, plonking a billion dollars down on the table just yet? Uh, no, no. I mean, there are Google grants. So we mm-hmm. have gone for a few of those. Okay. It's hard to know mm. what what they want. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we're so far uh, we haven't really uh, been lucky in that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there is a sense that nowadays of of a great sense of needing luck to get money. Mm. Yeah. Well, on on that topic. Um, uh, how much do you stick to or do you encourage you know, colleagues or early career researchers to stick to the main funding bodies, the ARC, the NHMRC, and how important is it now to, to consider alternative and perhaps unorthodox sources of funding? Unorthodox. Uh, yeah, no, I think uh, it's, it's very important. Uh, it's mm. not, you know, it's not uh, that I would necessarily say this is, uh, the way to go in mm. terms of uh, the blue skiedness of mm. research mm-hmm. because uh, those unorthodox uh, industry funds, government funds, linkage types of things, they're, they're all uh, in some ways focused and constrained by their own, uh, you know, shareholders, so mm-hmm. to speak. Yep. Um, but it's it's really funding is drying up, and mm. uh, we need to, if we to do uh, that type of research, also uh, you know your your boss uh, you know is very keen, or my boss is very keen mm-hmm. on us doing that, uh, or drawing in non traditional or non government yes. funding. That's right. Uh, you probably know that. Um, mm. So I mean, it's just the way it is, uh, you know, and with. Uh, there being, a, I guess, just simply easy to describe it as a chasm between an early career mm-hmm. researcher and an ongoing researcher. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there need to be ways of, of bridging that, mm-hmm. that chasm or that gap. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I'm not sure how how that's going to going to occur. I mean, we're we're putting lots of effort into all sorts of linkage schemes and all sorts of things that we are marginally kind of uh, uh, part of what we do, but mm-hmm. we have the skill set to do mm-hmm. certain things. And so it's a question of then listening to what industry groups or what others want mm-hmm. and then saying, okay, we can do that project uh, to get some funds. Mm-hmm. Uh, the question is, if you keep doing that, everything – takes time and it always means you're sacrificing some other aspect of your work mm, mm. Uh, it's a big juggling act it is sure. it is a juggle i mean the and, and the the thing with the ecrs is um on on a positive note uh several postdocs in our group recently have got government positions Mm-hmm. Not in what they were doing, mm-hmm. but the skill set that they developed in, in looking at some rather large data sets and developing tools and uh, and techniques, skills mm-hmm. for that, uh, you know, made them attractive in, mm. in other industries. Uh, one PhD student is now uh, also in that area uh, in, uh, I think it's a... Justice Department. Mm-hmm. Uh, one mm-hmm. has uh, started his own company in, in mm-hmm. uh, data, whatever data science. Mm-hmm. Um, he's working with the big, with the banks, one of the banks on uh, yes. um, work Interesting. with customers. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think it's very positive in that area for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're taking their skill set. They've learned 
uh, and and showing that you know what they do, what they did in their PhD is actually worth while yeah. and practical. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's less positive in terms, I think, of uh, creative research. Uh, we're losing uh, we're losing really talented uh, individuals mm. from the university system because of that that yeah. that gap. Yep. Um, and I, yeah, I, I, you know, there are there are a number of things that you know, as you said, the the, there's a push to, to get more money from industry. Mm. There's, uh, you know, the early career researchers are going into mm. industry uh, if they can. Mm. And, and there's the, the sort of, um, you know, I guess the idea that we should be doing more impactful research, even in the research that we get from yeah. uh, government funds. Yes, yeah, there's a push for that for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, in some ways, the, you know, the, the, the balance is is definitely being pushed in in one direction, mm. and, and I think it's kind of useful to imagine uh, a bit of pushback in the other side to, mm-hmm. to point out that you know in some ways the universities are set up to have lots of really interesting colleagues with all different skill sets, like in the offices next door, the person mm. I actually work with mm-hmm. uh, a lot. Uh, but also, you know, like as I was talking, there's Ben's, uh, that group yeah. I mentioned who do biomedical research. We do, we have a music cognition mm. and action. Fantastic. We have a language group. So universities are set up to have all these rather idiosyncratic, uh, <laughs> the odd people who are really mm-hmm. skilled. Uh, and they, you know, there's a tradition of encouraging uh, research, encouraging these people yeah. uh, to do interesting things. And I think it's a, it's sort of just practically, it's a waste not to mm. to use all that, the the shape of the university, if you like, mm. uh, to do this really interesting, more open-ended research. Yeah, so we're kind of getting into the topic almost of science policy, and I can, I can see that you have given it some thought, but then to, to another extent for many scientists, they want to just get on with their job and they're not not so concerned with perhaps advocating for change or trying to arrange for institutional or systematic change. Do you have any feelings about about that? Uh, no, just apart from agreeing, uh, <laughs> you know, like I, you know, when, when we, you know, if we go down the, the pub as a group, uh, we will talk about these things, but mm. it's, they're often seen as, uh, kind of overarching concerns that are, are are interesting but in some ways they don't impact on your day-to-day yep. uh, research you know you don't find people organizing or, mm. or promoting mm-hmm. uh, campaigns or pushing for government uh, you know action on yep. these things or, or trying to understand what you know what ways, what levers we can push, mm-hmm. even even with uh, you know like funding bodies, uh, you know with with uh, you know early career research grants. Uh, yep. What you know could there be uh, more emphasis on rather necessarily on on uh, impact, so to mm-hmm. speak? There could be some aspect where. If it was really a creative, interesting idea, you know, mm-hmm. uh, that marshaled some of the traditional kind of values of the university for, for being independent and 
uh, and interesting in its own right, mm. not necessarily uh, needing to articulate how it's going to save the planet. I mean, yeah. unfortunately, I mean, probably the work you do, I, <laughs> as I would imagine, has has some of those things, and you probably find yourself writing, you know, sentences along those lines about how um, how it's going to work. And I haven't had to do too much of that so far. I um. Uh, I finished my PhD in 2015 and only entered academia the year after that. I, I worked in government right. myself for many years, All right. mm -hmm. but certainly, yes, it's a very kind of impact-relevant area, bushfire research, and right. kind of working in climate change impacts research as well. So, yeah, it's perhaps easier for for me and, and people in my area to to make that case. Um, it really yeah, depends, and, and depends like... on the field. Yeah, like I was uh, saying in that early career um, research forum event uh, that where you heard me, um, what I like about academia is that it it's just it's quite a broad shop or church. Mm -hmm. You know, you can have people who are like yourselves in doing uh, really focused and and great research. Uh, with a practical aim, uh, there were people. I, I come from the University of Melbourne. Mm -hmm. uh, there were people in the department I was working uh, with, uh, you know, who were doing simulations of bushfire uh, yeah. work, and mm -hmm. uh, you know, quite interesting work uh, from a practical view about um, uh, control of, uh, you know, coordination responses and, yep. and all sorts of interesting things. Mm. Um, and, you know, occasionally they talk to me about communication, ways of thinking about that type mm -hmm. of, uh, of the interesting interchange. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I was always, I must say, uh, very much appreciative that, that these people were in the mm -hmm. department. Oh, uh, yeah. Because, you know, uh, you, you, you know, you want to know that as a group, you're, you're, you know, you have a, a good coverage of, mm -hmm. of things. And, um, mm. And I, I think that's a, that's a great place for why universities are really uh, a really interesting research environments because they they have many different uh, facets and and different uh, people, different personalities, all sorts of, of things. They are uh, a, a fascinating ecosystem in their own right. Ecosystem, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, you know, I. I not to say that uh, government, as you as you would have um, mm. had more experience than I do, mm -hmm. um, you know they have their own concerns and and you know the, I, the dialogue. Uh, it's great to have someone who has come uh, from uh, you know government say into um, research and academia. As I said, our postdocs in our area seem going to be going the other, the other way. Yeah, uh, maybe they'll influence. Uh, research there and uh, we, we did actually talk to one of them the other day uh, about um, maybe doing a linkage grant somewhere mm -hmm. Great. Uh, but you know that was more because they went into that area than anything uh, necessarily you know I have a desire to to get into um, prison reform or something sure sure um, well, because this is a, a kind of a community science podcast, we might wrap up with um, your thoughts on kind of engaging with the general public. Do you have a, an interest in that? What's your experience been? Um, any thoughts yeah, on, no, on that I, topic? Yeah, no, I have a real interest in that. Uh, and again... You answered it, my call, obviously, so thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's pretty... Um, 
can't go actually down the local uh, and, and have a few beers over it. But um, we'll get you on the program next year. <laughs> <laughs> Looking forward to it. You're you're in the Blue Mountains. Um, we are. Yeah, we do bi-monthly events in Springwood. Um, but all right. we, uh, we're dabbling in, in some other places and, and joint ventures, so there's uh, lots, lots of uh, possibilities. But yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, I mean, the other last, uh, not on the holiday, but the Monday before, uh, we were, our group, uh, two uh, PhD students and myself were talking uh, at the Sydney City Library. Uh, it started... Uh, earlier on in the year, in Seniors Week, uh, mm-hmm. it was one of uh, uh, our PhD students who organised. Oh, he just fantastic. saw uh, the, you know, the Melbourne uh, Council uh, advertising for speakers, mm-hmm. and so he said to me, "What about us?" Yeah. Uh, and you could start. You know, you're interested in, in el- older adults and, and mm-hmm. you know, that's sort of their well-being. How about you talk to um, to this group in Seniors Week? And so. Uh, we had three of these, and um, last week was the last one. And mm-hmm. I must say, uh, the Sydney Library were fantastic. They they did all of the advertising. They they got it all ready. Mm-hmm. It was that we did it at um, right in town. I, I forget the name of the venue. It's uh, the the library right in town. Yeah, um, yeah. I think I've been there. Yep. Yeah, Customs House, I think. Okay. And yep. and yeah, great. Great venue, mm. and and we had a really amazing audience of yeah, about fifty good... older people who had many who had been all for all three, mm-hmm. and, and they they asked really interesting <laughs> questions, and mm. yeah, many of them didn't want to leave at the end, which was <laughs> was a good sign. That's so I, I just feel you know public money goes into the university. Uh, one of our our things in this group is to actually invite older people to come in we we've organized uh two sessions at the university just to where we get we ask them we do a newsletter and we ask them in the newsletter to write to us what what would you like to hear and we've had physios and people who do memory disorder and a whole bunch of things and so we set up a a a morning tea and a couple of lectures and we get the older community to come in and and just listen and ask questions. I, I think this is, you know, again, it's using what the university is good at. Mm-hmm. And, and we do lectures. We, 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 you know, we are good at tailoring a message for different levels of, of audience. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, I really enjoy that, um, that aspect, that interchange. And I, I think it's something uh, that we owe the community. Mm. Um, well, that's yeah. great. Well, look, I've, I've really enjoyed talking to you. Chris, uh, thanks for your time. Okay, Hamish, um, it's thanks for having this venue, this forum. You've been listening to the Science of the Local podcast, available on iTunes, soundcloud.com slash scienceofthelocal, and all good podcast providers. Science of the Local is not just a podcast, it's also a series of bi-monthly talks by expert and engaging scientists, delivered in a cosy setting to the good folk of the Blue Mountains. To find out more, go to facebook.com slash science at the local. Science at the Local is run by me, Hamish Clark, and Kevin Joseph. We're supported by Springwood and Winmalee Neighbourhood Centres, and in 2017 by the Inspiring Australia Program of the Australian Government. By listening to this podcast, you accept our end-user licence agreement. Science is real from the Big Bang.